0: Last week, we started a brand new series called Love Your Dot, 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 and it's going to be a series that we're in for the next several weeks, and we're going to be filling in the dot, dot, dot as we go through this series. And so we're going to be talking about how to love God. We're going to be talking about how to love our neighbor. We're going to be talking about how to love one another. That particularly uh, is applied to the church and Christian community. We're going to talk about how to love our enemies, right? A particularly difficult thing that Jesus encourages us to do. But we're going to be moving forward into that dot, dot, dot beginning this morning to loop you in. Last week, we just sat on what it looks like to actually love. Like, what is God talking about? Uh, What are we being encouraged to do? And what does love really look like? And so last week we talked about how to love from who we are, uh, not just in what we do, but how to receive God's love and to begin to move in response to receiving that, that He is that source and He loved us first. And so as we move through this series, that first week, if you weren't with us or if you missed that, I would encourage you to loop back to that at some point because it is kind of one of the foundation things for uh, moving forward. Uh, I have discovered something about myself, and maybe this is something that would apply to you, but I am a person of all-in interests, all-in interests. And what that means is, is that when I get interested in something, when I kind of get uh, curious about something, when I want to start kind of trying something out, I just have a tendency to slide all-in to that until it's kind of the whole of what I'm doing. Uh, I remember in kind of eighth and ninth grade there was kind of this resurging interest nationwide in playing cards, right? So basketball cards, uh, baseball cards, football cards, and I started sliding all into that. It got to uh, the place where I had so many cards and so many uh, friends doing that. I would have friends that would come to my house to trade cards with my dad because they knew that my cards weren't worth trading for. They would just like go go up a, a, a space, and so there was this whole time where that's what me and my friends and, and my brothers were doing. And I to this day I have bought. Boxes and boxes of sports playing cards in my garage. And I know what you're thinking. Pastor Ben, those are worth so much money now. No, they're not. That's why they're still in boxes in my garage. Right, But I went all in there, and this was when you know other sports cards were coming to light, like the Mickey Mantle cards, and they, it was hitting the markets and all of those things. And there's even been resurging interest now on eBay and particular things. But for the most part, what I got, you don't want. Trust me, it's just in a box. And if you went into my garage, you would find boxes and boxes of all kinds of other stuff that were parts of interest that I held. So I've got decoys upon decoys of waterfowl decoys from ducks and geese, because when I moved to Colorado, I started getting involved in that, and then I was the guy, ladies, you probably have a husband like this, who's like, yeah, but I just need one more, right? It's kind of like shoes, I guess, but it's like, I need this decoy, and it's like, you have that one. No, 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 that one is looking to the right. I need the one that's looking to the left. They're that smart that they're that particular. Mm, no, we just have a tendency to need the next new thing i've got so much camping stuff from the times that i've been involved in that i have a seat that opens up i got it for 25 cents it was a backpacking seat what a sweet deal no there's a reason why it was 25 cents at some other dude's garage sale it's because it wasn't worth the quarter and i still have it in my backup what if the world falls apart box that i'm not going to need And I I share that with you just as an illustration with how easy it is for us to be kind of distracted and enamored with maybe the next new thing. Or maybe you're somebody who bounces from one thing to another, and you don't go all in on it, but you do collect a little bit of it as you go along. Some of you are still holding out for Beanie Babies to pay off your college tuition. It's not going to happen. But I share that with you because there are so many things in our lives that kind of demand our attention or invite our affection. And a lot of them, they're kind of harmless and and they're maybe fun diversions, but we're we're often pulled in so many different uh, directions at once uh, that we give ourselves to all of these distractions in a way where our lives become like really cluttered. Uh, My garage space is really cluttered with just stuff that I've Amassed, I've got things that are unnecessary, just baggage that I've moved from one place to another, and in just kind of a practical sense, that has a tendency to just crowd out our physical space. But when we start talking about our spiritual space, we have a tendency to do the same thing, where we're collecting little pieces of a number of different things that all holds our attention, and what happens is we end up moving God. Typically, it's inadvertently, but to the margins. He gets crowded out in our lives, we push God to the margins, and then we wonder why we're having a hard time relating to Him, we're really wondering why it's so hard to live with people around us, and we can kind of struggle to do some of the simple things when Scripture starts talking about how we are to live the most excellent way, that's what we talked about last week, to live out the way of love. And I want to encourage you this morning that that is the better way to live. And primarily, it's going to begin with our love being directed back primarily and first towards the Lord, that we need to have a love of God in us that we have received, that is reciprocated as a love for God first and primary before anything else. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and get those out. I going to ask that you just lift those up. Lord, we prepare our hearts right now. Lord, we quiet our hearts and our minds before you, and Lord, maybe our lives are like a desk that's cluttered with things, and we would ask that you would just sweep those aside for a moment and put your word as our primary focus. Lord, give us, as Jesus would describe it, eyes to see and ears to hear what you would speak to us through your word today, Lord, that we would receive it and that we would take it in in a way that it is growing in our lives and producing fruit As a result, in Jesus' name, amen. With your Bibles, I want to encourage you to open up to Mark chapter 12. If you've got your smartphone or your tablet, you can open up your Bible app and probably get there quicker than the person next to you going through their pages. But Mark chapter 12 is where we're going to begin. And in Mark chapter 12, the portion of scripture we're going to get to comes on the heels of a conversation that has already happened. So I want to at least frame out the context. For you, On many occasions when Jesus was out in public, when he was preaching, when he was teaching, when he was going about doing the demonstration of the things of the kingdom of God, all kinds of people would gather around as a result of that. And so through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you see pictures of times with Jesus with individuals, and you see Jesus with maybe his disciples or a larger uh, uh, group of followers. You'll see him uh, with kind of the crowds, and then you'll see him described with the multitude. And there's these kind of concentric circles of interests kind of looking at him and trying to discover who is this guy and what's he doing, and is this for reals in a sense. And one of the groups that often comes on the scene, uh, regardless of whether it's kind of a multitude or uh, the followers or maybe even sometimes the smaller groupings, are groups of religious leaders, and you'll have them identified as specific types as far as Pharisees and Sadducees, but there is a number of different uh, kind of components to that. There is kind of a religious ruling order called the Sanhedrin, and they would show up, and they're all trying to sniff out whether Jesus is authentic, whether he is holding to the truth of what they understood Scripture to be at that point, and they're trying to figure out kind of where, where does he kind of fall in the spectrum Because you had all of these little groups of Jewish adherents that had little distinctives that put them at odds with one another. And so oftentimes they would come together and they would try to ask Jesus a question. And sometimes it was to trap him in his words. Sometimes it was to test him to see if he really knew scripture as well as they thought. Sometimes it was to see, are you with us or against us? So the Pharisees might ask a question to see if he sided a little bit more with the Sadducees or with them. And so they're trying to kind of do all of this uh, uh, positioning around him. And prior to the verses that we're going to read right here, there's been a conversation that has taken place where a group of leaders has come, they have questioned Jesus, and they have kind of looked at how he would respond, and he responded really, really well. In a sense, he passed the test, and so they kind of regroup, and they begin to think, okay, so what's our next question? What's the next thing that we're going to do? And both Mark and Matthew, both of those gospels record this event, and they give a little bit different perspective on those. To, to get a full picture, you can read both accounts. One is in Mark 12, and the other is in Matthew 22. But the account that we will read this morning primarily is Mark 12, starting in verse 28. It says this, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. So he's listening to this conversation. And noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him. So he follow, he's got a follow-up question, and this is for Jesus. Of all the commandments, which is the most important? Okay, of all the commandments, which is the most important? And this is a really challenging question. You may not recognize the challenge that's being laid down here. But in kind of general consensus, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders, the teachers of the law, in general, they had come to the consensus that there were 640-something commandments, that as they understood the Old Testament, as they understood particularly the Torah, that they had kind of written down and kind of collated 640-something-odd commandments. And so they're wondering if Jesus knows that there's a full scope going on. And then the question is, can you pick one out of there that's better than any other? And depending on the verse that he took or the commandment that he took, it would kind of expose kind of where his values were. It would say, what's more important or less important to this leader? And it would put him in maybe this camp or that camp, or or maybe he wouldn't really know. And so there's kind of this entrapment piece going to it, but it's also, it's a really big question. They're saying, of all of these answers, what's the one that you would give? Trying to draw him to such a statement of minutia that it would deconstruct his ability to to continue his public ministry. And so this was his answer. The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel... The Lord our God, the Lord is one. It's a statement about who God is, and now here's the commandment. Love the Lord, your God, with all of your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And so his answer is, is really, it's a commandment that's a very broad commandment. It's a, it's a high reaching, overarching type. Of, it's a 30,000 foot look down. And he basically says, this is the one. In the Matthew context, it would say that this is the, the first and greatest of commandments is how he would describe it. And if you were to continue to read this text and the same thing in Matthew and a similar experience that we'll see later on in this series from Luke, there's a second that follows up to it. And some of you may have already guessed what that was. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then you are to love your neighbor as yourself. And he would say that that is the second greatest. And then he makes a statement and says, these two things categorize all of what God expects of you, that all of the 640-some-odd or 600-some-odd commandments all fall into one of those two things or both simultaneously. You are to love God and you are to love people. Now what's interesting is if you went to the Matthew account in Matthew chapter 22, if you get there quick, you can get there, otherwise it'll be on the screen. But in verse 37, it gives a similar answer, but I want you to note the nuance because this is important for us this morning. The way that Matthew records Jesus' answer, it says this. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Now, if you were paying attention in class already, you would say, hey, there was something missing here. Matthew left out strength. What's the deal with that? And to kind of understand the discrepancy and what's going on here, and it's going to lead into our application so that this actually matters to your life this week, it's important to spend a little bit of time on this. Because Mark and Matthew are both recording the event, they're both giving a a record of what Jesus spoke, but primarily the most important piece is that Jesus was quoting something that had already been written. He was quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 5. So when they came and they said, hey Jesus, what is the greatest commandment of the 600 something, 640 something, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus answered. His answer wasn't something that was made up. His answer wasn't just his own synopsis of what Scripture says. His answer was actually already written in the law. It was already written in the Torah, in the book of Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, you have the same statement about God being one. And then you have this, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your strength. Now, again, if you were paying attention in class, you would say, hey, heart, soul, and strength are there, but mind is missing in Deuteronomy. And then in Mark, it's got all four of those. And in Matthew, why is strength missing? Pastor, pastor, what's going on? Does Jesus not know the word, right? Or, or what happened? Did Matthew get it wrong? Did Mark get it wrong? And it's, it's important to understand the verse in Deuteronomy. Because in the Hebrew, what is happening here is it's not written in a way where you have kind of these three boxes to check, and if you get that right, then you figured it out. So you can do a deep word study on the Hebrew word for heart, and you can get some things that are really helpful and applicable. But the deeper that you go in narrowing the understanding of that word, the narrower your expectation of how it gets lived out in your life becomes. Same thing with the idea of soul. And your strength. And it's important to recognize that in the Hebrew, when this was first written and spoken, that the gathering of these terms, this idea of heart and soul and strength, was a, a gathering of terms intended to demonstrate the whole of the self. The idea of the heart and the soul, in the way that the Hebrew is putting it together, it's all of who you are, what you can see and what you can't see. What you can feel and what you can't necessarily put into words. What you can understand and what you can only intuitively have a sense of. They're words that are encompassing the whole of personhood. And then the idea of strength has to do with your exercise of your personhood on the world around you. It's your agency. It's the expression of your ability. And so at the heart of the verse in Deuteronomy, it's saying this. It's saying, love God Above all else, with all of yourself, to the best of your ability. That God is above everything, that your love is to be directed first and primarily towards Him above all else, in the whole of who you are, to the best that you're able to do it in the moment that you find yourself. And so when you move back from that, the Greek words that are kind of used as interchangeably in Mark and in Matthew, they are synonymous words that are drawing that same concept together, that you are to love the Lord your God with the whole of who you are to the best of your ability. And so the statement, okay, the command is not narrow, it's all-encompassing. And that's why Jesus could say that and then say all of the laws and the prophets, all of the rest hinge on this, this idea that we love God first and with the full of who we are. And for me, I won't speak for you at this point, but for me, this is challenging See, if I narrow it down and say, okay, I'm going to love the Lord with my heart today, then I'll measure my motivation for this morning's worship and I'll say, God, I'm giving you my best and I can check the box and say, I've loved the Lord with all of my heart. But that also means the things in my life that are out of alignment, the things in my life that have become greater priority, the things in my life that have uh, uh, lesser than godly motivations or intentions that I can excuse those marginalize those I can even kind of cover those up for the moment because I'm able to check the box in my Sunday morning worship same thing if I was going to look at my mind or the idea of my soul my inner man in person if I narrow it enough I can part I can compartmentalize that area of my life and I can excuse things in my life that are actually crowding God to the margins but I can give myself a pass if I make it narrow enough. The verse is not narrowing, it's all-encompassing. Which means that if I use this as a measurement for who I am as a man of God, that I'm constantly being brought back to the places in my life that are less than as God intended, and I'm being invited to do something about that with His help And his spirit. It's a verse that, if you were going to walk it out daily or from moment to moment, invites you to continually realign yourself with connecting with God and allowing the clutter and brokenness and all the janky things that we let crowd into our hearts and our minds, allow those things to get sloughed off as we are washed and fresh and made anew in the presence of God. It's a constant invitation to this continual connection and growing intimacy. With the Lord. And it's challenging because there are so many lesser offerings in the world that are competing for your attention and for your allegiance. There are so many things that have become priorities, even responsibilities that draw our attention. And many times the first thing that we wake up to in the morning is a, a, a list of what we've got to get done that day, or it's a list of regrets from yesterday. Like so often, our first thought, our first act is not something that aligns us with a loving God who did everything to find a way to get to you, but it starts with us and what's missing, and then we're trying to work from this deficiency into our day. And it's usually after we've started getting kind of a clunky start to that and things aren't working, then we're like, oh, wait, hey, may- the Lord can be part of this. Right? He promised to ne- never leave me nor forsake me. Right? There's this promise. There's that. Oh, my goodness. Well, of course, this isn't working out. God said that life works best lived this way, and I'm not doing that. Like, a lot of times it's kind of these aha moments as we trip and fall on our face, or maybe that's just Pastor Ben. But we're invited to this place where we're le- re- realigning. There- there's a lot of distractions and substitutions that creep into our lives. That detract from God's love and invite us into lesser living in the way that we just go about our lives. And if you pause and if you think, right, if you, if you were going to sit here, if I was going to say, hey, write down a few things right now that you know have become this in your life. Things that have crowded out God as being the first and primary the first and best. Like you, you could maybe start to make a list and I would, I would bet, I would bet that if I read your list that it would be kind of a good and bad type of contrast because those are the easiest ones for us to look at. Right? We can look at our behavior. We can look at the way that we interacted with our neighbor or our spouse or our dog. We can look at the way that we've misprioritized our life and used our resources for just our own self, our own satisfaction, our own gain. Like We can find those things, kind of the good for bad type of a contrast. You can do that in just a secular sense using any lens of morality to discover that, and that's helpful. There are things in your life that are bad for you that you've allowed, that you've invited in, that you've partnered with, and there are destroying your relationships they're hindering a good connection between you and the lord and they're uh, compounding the fracture of relationships around you those are real and those need to be acknowledged they need to be dealt with but many times those are the easiest ones for us to recognize there are other distractions there are other substitutions that aren't substituting bad for good but good for best this happens to christians a lot Where the good ends up being doing Christian stuff. We'll even couch it in language like, I'm just, I'm serving, I'm giving, I'm generous. And we start doing a lot for God, but we don't do anything with him. We're doing a lot of things in Jesus' name, but we're not spending any time with Jesus. And the invitation is to go and to do with him. The invitation is, in a sense, to co-create the kingdom of God. But many times we just go about creating our own little mini-kingdoms and then wonder why these lesser versions of God's ideal end up creating brokenness. See, any, anything that's drawing my primary focus or allegiance off of the Lord and onto itself is a distraction or a substitution, and it begins to erode my ability to love God first. And that's not primarily a performance-driven type of love. That's not me like doing all the churchy things. It just has to do with where the security of my allegiance lies. And when I begin to be distracted or to allow substitutions, I won't speak for you, but I'll speak for myself. I begin to get insecure in my relationship with the Lord. And then when I get insecure with my, my relationship with the Lord, I, I start doing and acting in bizarre ways. Like I have to earn his favor, or I have to somehow perform well enough, or I need to add this other good thing to an already crowded schedule and maybe sacrifice the health of my family, but I need this to do this for God so that God would see me favorably. Like that's like That's insecurity. When you have been made whole in Christ Jesus and you are set securely in him and his finished work on the cross and from a secure relationship, I can actually respond first to the Lord. And after receiving the fullness of his love, I I can begin to uh, 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 impact the world around me through an agency of love where where that begins to be the way that I experience my life, the way that I live that out, the way that others experience me. But it's gonna come out primarily out of me receiving it from the Lord first. And when that doesn't happen, okay, when I'm not loving the Lord with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength, when I'm not first receiving what he has for me and then living out from that, the result is I begin loving less. And that doesn't mean caring less necessarily, that doesn't mean trying less, I mean loving less and by that I mean this, it means that I begin to love less frequently and when I do, I do it with a lesser love. It's a lesser love. In fact, when you look at this verse and the way that it is kind of brought into the New Testament, and then as John, in his first letter in First John, as he begins to unpack what it looks like to love, and we talked a little bit about this last week, the challenge is that they move it. In, in the Greek, the word is agape. It's an unconditional love. It's like a crazy love. It's not an if-then love. And when I am substituting anything else, for my, my, my primary allegiance goes to anything else, not spending time with God and receiving his agape love for me, his unconditional agape love for me, I don't have that to return to him and I don't have it for the world. I walk in a lesser love, and, and this is, is, is kind of the good but not best. Because if you sit in any secular context and you begin to debate the importance of love, everybody would say, yes, love is important. In fact, you would have all kinds of people who would use kind of the idea that love wins, or in the end all is love, or love never fails, and they'll make those blanket statements, but the love that they're talking about is contractual, it's if-then, If you do this, I'll love you in this way. And if I do this, then you will love me in return. And that is a lesser love than God's love. God's love is unconditional. God's love is I have chosen to love you, even in all your mess that you can't do anything about, and even if you don't ever love me back. That's God's love. It's nonsense love. It can't even be reciprocated. Like when you agape love God, when you love him back unconditional, when your faith arises in you, that regardless of your circumstance, regardless of your experience, regardless of whatever is happening around you, man, you are going to go to God first. You're going to give him the best of who you are. And if you had to stand alone and the whole world crumbled, that you would still stand and be you and Jesus. The only way that you can even get to that agape love is to receive it from him first and then offer it back to him because he's the only source of that. And so anything else, it's just I'm loving less and I'm loving with a lesser love. And in John's letter, if you like to dig into these kinds of things, if you like to do a lot of self-study or if you do like a reflective prayer time, or um, just kind of your own devotions in the morning, I just encourage you this week, read the whole letter of 1 John. It's gonna unpack how God loves you, how you love God, and how that creates the ability for you to love people. It's the whole package there. But in 1 John chapter two, he gets right to kind of this point of, of our tendency to have a divided allegiance, and he gives a warning starting in verse 15. He says this, he says, do not love the world, or anything in the world if anyone loves the world love for the father is not in them and john hits hard he gets right to the point there's a few times in scripture that you've got writers who do that where the holy spirit inspired them not to kind of dance around the firelight but just get right into it and you might raise your hand at this and be like pastor 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 wait a minute Right, John, John's writing and he says don't love the world or anything in it. Does that mean I don't have to love my neighbor? Right, I found the loophole. Woo, because that guy, is so difficult. Right, you may be thinking that, but somebody in the other service might have said that about you already this morning, so. <laughs> I don't have to love anything in the world or anything in it, like, woo, dodged the bullet there. John, unpacks what it looks like to love the world he says for everything in the world it qualifies what he's talking about the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes and the pride of life comes not from the Father but from the world so when John says don't love the world or anything in it he's not talking about your neighbor he's not talking about people He's not talking about men and women who have been created in the image of God. That's the picture that you get of God's intention and his created purpose for humanity. Not men and women who he has a plan and a purpose and a destiny for, no matter how much they've marred and messed that up to this point, and no matter how far from him they would look like at this point. The world and everything in it that he's talking about here is the way that the world works and its brokenness. And the word that John uses, do not love the world or anything in it, the word there is agape. Don't give your unconditional allegiance to the brokenness of this world. Don't give your unconditional allegiance to sin and brokenness around you. Don't give your unconditional allegiance to gratifying your own self. Or puffing yourself up, or making little of others. Because that's not how God loves. You can't simultaneously agape love God and agape love the world. In those moments, there's a choice. And the more frequently we have determined in our person that we will love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, the more frequently we will go to him first when we are given the opportunity to choose the allegiance of our heart. Is it going to be me this time, or am I going to love God? Is it going to be the plan that I had for my life, or am I going to love God? Is it going to be the opportunity to love those around me with God's love? Like We have to go and receive to then go and do. And John really is encouraging us in this verse with that same challenge. Are you going to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, or will you fall prey to the distractions and the substitutions that the world has on offer? And when you do that, then you've missed something about God's love love for the father is not in them love from the father is missing and so there's an invitation to do something there and real briefly i want to loop back to heart mind soul and strength and then we'll close because there are some important things that we can unpack out of this if you remember in the in the uh in the hebrew in deuteronomy the words that are being used there are to say the whole of your person the whole of what you would understand yourself to be. That's the connection of the heart and soul. And so later in both of the Greek translations, there's heart, mind, and soul, uh, or there is um, the idea of heart and soul. Same thing, the whole of who you are, what you can see and what you can know, what you can't see, what you can't know, but the whole of your personhood is being described there. But there's an important part of the Deuteronomy statement that has to do with uh, your strength. And the word is properly understood as your ability. It's, it's what you can do, it's how you can exercise agency, would be more of an academic way to think about it. And what that means is this is, is if I can choose to exercise that, if I can choose to walk into that, if I can choose to partner in that in some degree, that there is a way for me to begin to grow in that. There's there's disciplines that can be a part of the way that I live my life. The first discipline bringing me first to the Lord and then going from his presence to do any and everything as a result of that. But I primarily go there first. And that word for heart, I don't want to narrow it too much, but that idea of your heart is going to encompass in both the Greek and the Hebrew, the sense of your will. How are you going to exercise your will? Love the Lord with the way that you exercise your will. The seat of your emotions Exercise your emotions in a way that loves God. Love God in a way that when you respond with your emotional response, that there's something that loves God in that. You know, we have a tendency to to view our emotions as somehow the enemies of spirituality. But scripture shows the full scope of emotions as things that God and Jesus demonstrate. Anger, grief, shortest verse in the Bible is Jesus wept. And it unpacks an incredible response to what death does when it separates and severs relationship. The whole scope of that. I found that in the church, one of the hardest emotions for people to love God with in a healthy way is joy. I know a lot of people who've gone to church a long time who can sing and quote verses about God's joy that don't look like they have any joy in their life at all. There's something missing there. When I don't know how to celebrate because I only know how the world celebrates in a lesser way, in an unrestrained way, in a hedonistic way, Man, joy. Scripture says that all of heaven erupts in joy when one sinner repents. Like the whole thing? You guys better figure out how to be joyful. Do you plan on being in heaven? Your soul, your mind. Like that's going to encompass everything. Your thoughts, your intellect, your reason. That's a, there's a way to engage in all of those things out of of knowing who God is, how he loves you, and to exercise his love on the world. And there are times where people think to be reasonable is to be unspiritual. And if you're spiritual, you're unreasonable. It's nonsense. You can love the Lord your God with all of your mind, all of your intellect, all of your reason, all of your imagination. And this is an important distinction. I do want to touch on this because there's a lot of people who are in creative Professions that feel cumbered in somehow trying to honor the Lord in that. People who are artistic and creative who feel like they have to be stifled or less than. But your imagination, it's part of who God has created you to be. It's one of the gifts that he's given you. And it's an invitation to co-create with him, to imagine what it would look like to partner with him to do something awesome in the world. And what the world has offered as a lesser than substitute is what I would say is fantasy. Imagination is an invitation to co-create with God through faith what is not yet, but what could be. Fantasy is is the way that I create an alternate preference and escape what is. I think the church needs more imagination. I think we need to imagine how we would change our community if we knew the love of God and knew how to love people. What it would look like for us to bring heaven on earth. And that strength component, again, it's to the best of your ability, which means that today there is kind of a measurement of that. And it may be really low, but it doesn't have to stay low. Any ability can be developed. Any capacity can be increased. And as you begin to take a journey where you go to God for a deeper understanding of his love, for a deeper feeling of his love, a deeper uh, reception of that, and then begin to move from there. And just the way that you day-to-day your life, you'll see growth and movement in your life that will move you further along into the plans and its purposes that he has for you. We're gonna close this morning with an opportunity to respond. I'm gonna ask you, church family, to go ahead and stand. and wor- uh, Worship team, if you guys would come back I've got a few questions that I want to give the Lord, just an opportunity to speak to our hearts about. And when we're talking about our heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? Our will, emotion, passion, motivation, our thoughts, our intellect, our reason, our imagination, our competency, our ability. Again, these terms were used to be broadened. When you consider the parts of your life, the the things that make you, you? Consider this question. What would it look like to surrender that to Jesus? To receive his love in that area? And to be used for kingdom purposes? Where would you need to begin today? I'm going to ask you to just bow your heads and close your eyes just as a way of closing out distractions. In what area of your life could you begin today to love God to the best of your ability? Without even increasing your ability, without even getting better at it, can you think of an area in your life right now that you could just take a step and begin to love God to the best of your ability in that place? Maybe that's in an expression of emotion, or maybe that's in an exercising of your will, maybe that's in revisiting the things that you're passionate about and aligning those with God's purposes for your life, or reconsidering the things that motivate you and the way that you make decisions. Maybe, Maybe that would be a piece of like your soul, your mind, the Greek word would be psyche. Maybe your thought life's a mess. Maybe you're not pursuing any intellectual growth because there's an arrogance that you already know it all. Maybe you've shied away from the things that God has done in you that has has been creative, that invitation to imagine with him that you you just slide towards fantasy and try to escape in it rather than to partner with God in the possibilities of what it would look like to be the man of God or the woman of God that you were created to be. Maybe you just haven't tried to exercise your ability in this area for a long time because you've been loving too many other things. Lord, for the area of life that we have this need, we would take a step today and we would purpose in our hearts and our minds With our soul and strength to love you the best we can in this moment. Lord, draw us to a secure interaction with you, a security in our relationship, that we would come to you first and receive your love, that we would come to you, Lord, and be filled with your love, and that in turn we would offer it back to you, that we would love you above all else with all of ourselves to the best of our ability as unconditionally as we are able in this moment. And as we begin to learn and grow in that, minding the depths of your love, would it be something that springs up in us and out to a world around us who's in desperate need of it? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, I got a few action steps for you this week. You can snap a picture of this with your smartphone or tablet. You can catch these online later in the week. But I would encourage you to read 1 John chapter 4, right? Extra credit, you read the whole book, and there's no prizes, so don't ask. Number two, note in that chapter how God demonstrates his love for us. Just be reminded of his love came first. And then number three, in response to that, love him with your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Take some steps doing that this week.